Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features Ryan Burke and Eli Shockey, two friends who play Dungeons and Dragons together and both write comics. Ryan is here to discuss Coronary Volume 1, a four-issue collection described as Black Mirror meets Romeo and Juliet. Eli is here to discuss Greylock, a six-issue miniseries coming out later this year through Scout Comics. Hey everyone, I'm uh, Ryan Burke. I'm the writer, producer behind the noir series Coronary. Hey everyone, I'm Eli Shockey, um, writer, co-creator of The Greylock, um, coming out later this year. We're here to talk about comics. Um, Ryan, um, where'd this idea for Coronary come from? I know that uh, conceptually you said you're the producer of it. It's a very, very British comic. <laughs> just in a way that like I just just off the bat within the first like couple pages you're like okay this is very British where did it come from I genuinely don't know um I think I always had an idea to do this is very strange because I was I don't really consider myself like a comic books guy I had the idea for for coronary first and then kind of found comics as a medium uh, through that idea okay so you had it did you have it written as like a series of short stories or like a novella beforehand i think it might have been a film script i think the first one was probably closer to like a short film in oh. terms of how i like wrote it out and then i was like wait a minute comics are right there and I was reading a bunch of them and I was like, you know, I think this is a good fit for it. I have a great question for you later. About <laughs> this very topic. Okay. But yeah, you said it was very British. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize how British it was until like later on and be like, oh, there's two people on the tube. <laughs> listen, I'm a, I'm a black kid from Kentucky. It's very British to me. So like... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because, you know, it's on, it's like the beginning, you know, it takes place in a metro station. And I think this, because that was like my beginning, like, where did it come from? But my first question is, you know, like for you, because you start off with this meet cute between these two characters Mm -hmm. and, you know, and these like kind of meet cutes, you assume a lot of things about these two characters, you know, you have this one guy who, you know, comes up, he's charming he's you know kind of disarming and then this other woman you kind of see as you know a little bit nervous uh, a little bit more innocent and then you (laughs) yeah you take us in like a complete opposite direction you know and I was you know I was really impressed by that I was kind of like well okay so I went and completely thinking a different thing and now this is where the story's going where you know like what made you want to do that with these characters because you kind of just pull the rug out from under the readers a bit and like just defy expectations with where usually people think that these kind of characters are going to go oh thanks man when i started writing coronary i was like this is all going to be about like body image and how we relate to you know our bodies and how we value ourselves like i the only way to really interrogate this topic is to have two characters that 
embody both sides of the spectrum on it. Like uh, Justin is like a businessman and he's very like, sees no problem with everyone getting plastic surgery for free. It's all good. The free market does as the free market wants to do. And uh, Luna is very much the opposite. She's like, nah, screw F this. Uh, I'm doing my own thing. You're the man, the establishment, whatever. And I wanted to have these two characters kind of immediately be in conflict with one another. So I can, you know, be very highbrow and discuss yeah. these topics. It was yeah. it was very highbrow. I, yeah, you know, for those listening, I did tell everybody in the, I, well, I did tell um, Ryan that it made me want to go binge BBC series. Oof. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> I, I love your intro too, if I can. To your intro? Like that intro. so strong. That intro, like, developed years ago i always like in media res for beginning and uh you know that's when you're dropped in in the middle of the action and you kind of play catch up i always like those i don't really like telling origin stories oh yeah I'm so, so like having him in the middle of this victorian mansion like hunting vampires you know <laughs> mm. yeah love. Was- i love that yeah, I want to talk about the the intro initially. It's it's uh, without spoiling anything. Right. You're kind of thrown into a situation and you have no idea about the rest of the setting yet. And the <laughs> the way you're introduced to the setting is wonderful. You expect one thing and then right. it becomes another very quickly. It was it was it was, you know, when that scene was first written and when that um, me and Adagun Ilhan, who's my co-creator, we toyed with the idea of having a hidden world kind of concept for our fantasy world. You know, humans don't know that, you know, these orcs and dwarves and all these elves exist. And we were kind of just like, uh, that sucks. Because <laughs> we've, see, we've seen that so much and it, it always ends up being kind of boring, you know, yeah. at least in my opinion, because you don't really get a look at how the world is different you get this very human centric point of view you know where they talk about you know very human centric things and our interest was more in how is this world different what is it like to have these you know some of these things are immortal some of these things you know have magic some of these things can build these amazing things what does the world look like because of that what would the city of manhattan which is our mm-hmm. placeholder for New York City uh, with its original indigenous name, what would that look like now if all these other species existed? It is wonderfully done. Thank you. I, at first, <laughs> you gave me a little, little lesson before this. I thought Manhattan was a typo at first, and then you explain, Eli. Yeah, so it's, it's Manhattan in the original language. And, you know, that's a place for gathering wood to, you know, make arrows. That's what it translates mm-hmm. into, roughly. I just think Manhattan, you know, is, you know, close enough to where readers are going to be like, okay. And then, you know, once you, you know, once you see it referred to a few times, you're like, this is either a typo and this guy can't spell Manhattan or <laughs> this is intentional. And so you got to go with the intentional after yeah. you do it like five or six times. So. 
I do hope that some readers go into it and say, this guy cannot for the life of him spell Manhattan. He has an N on his (laughs) keyboard. He used it the first time, why not the second time? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I really like your use of place names because you have little Oaka later on. Yeah, so me and uh, Jared Lujan. Oh, I know Jared. My brother who loves Mexicans with swords. We were talking about like uh, me, him, and Adagoon, uh, Ilhan. We were talking about just westernization of like fantasy and how we don't see a lot of just indigenous cultures, African cultures, or anything like that, like kind of represented. Yeah. Like, and the little like subcultures of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, you know, you got little Italy um you got chinatown and you know some different part you know some different cities in the world you got little sicily out in california and some cities so i was kind of like what about little you know little oaxaca so (laughs) that's good yeah and you know we had those tiny uh ziggurats you know like those modernized ziggurats and like we just had a lot of fun with it 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 is a, a genuinely uh refreshing uh, read on different cultures and putting them within a fantasy setting. I feel that like the very like Tolkien-esque humans are humans, orcs are minorities, elves are <laughs> fancy people. Like, yeah, well, let's yeah, go those, past that a little bit. Those stereotypes like, a little bit. I mean, like yeah, if exactly. a guy that wrote it in nineteen oh, what what did he write it in like nineteen eleven or something like that? It, it it reads how it reads from a guy that wrote it in nineteen eleven, but. You know, he kind of gave the springboard, you know, token for all fantasy to grow from, you know, like he laid down, you know, like the chessboard and then everybody else is figuring out different ways to move the pieces. Yeah. I'm glad you're moving the pieces. He he gave a good hard pass to you and you just ran with it. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of different like racial analogs within fantasy and like, right. It's so good to see it done well. It made me think of that kind of awful Will Smith movie, Bright. Listen, you know how many people, how many like beta readers have said, it's like Bright, but it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the line. I So David Hazen, um, you know, wrote Nottingham. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we chat sometimes and he literally said that and I told him I was going to use it as a pull quote. So you may see that on a, I actually, no, I can't do that because that's libel. I don't want to get sued by Will yeah. Smith. <laughs> him that's not that's not like, the intended way that I want to meet Will Smith ever in my life is to get sued by him. So let's, uh, let's not do that. Respect all, all respect on Will Smith. <laughs> this is a pro Will Smith podcast. Yeah, Jordan made that clear beforehand. Very strict rules. Um, speaking of rules, there's like some different rules of like writing comics, and so I've talked shop with a lot of different you know, writers and creators. And just one of the things that I have trouble with, and I think a lot of people that, you know, are writing like their first pieces and, you know, everything like that, they want to fill up every panel with words. You know, they want, they want word, they want word balloons in every single panel. And something I noticed about coronary is you just let the reader sit with what's going on, you know, you rely a lot, you rely on the artist to do what the artist is supposed to do. And so I was kind of just wondering, you know, like 
where'd you come you know like what was your process with that what are you what's your kind of philosophy on word usage and like a comic you know I know that you came from it from a script uh like a film script perspective so that's an even more visual storytelling kind of thing so that mm-hmm. may have helped you out but you know fill me in what was going on there I don't know I um it it's it's both a, a personal kind of choice where it's like I want to keep my I hate writing dialogue it makes me uncomfortable every time every every line of dialogue is probably the third or fourth pass right I'm trying to get it good so I try and make it as as tight as I possibly can I don't think I ever use more than two sentences per bubble because it's just uh, I'm not writing a book I'm writing a comic book okay <laughs> yeah I mean that's a good rule of thumb is to you know I was told no more than 24 uh, words per balloon or per box because you really kind of get at some point you get into some logistical mess where you're like painting over actual uh, full art to put a bubble over it yeah and it gets to a point where it gets cramped and it gets, and I, I never felt that with the Greylock either, which is really cool. He's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say. I was, I was, this segues almost quite perfectly to uh, the lettering. I love the lettering on Grey, Greylock. Yeah, you're talking about so the, um, the different colors and like, yeah, the different themes yeah. for each character. Does each like specific different race have a different lettering style? So I was picking up on that, but I wasn't sure. Kind was, of was it a different color. Kind of. Um, it depends on like the feel of the character. To be honest with you, that was uh, our letterer Justin Birch. Dude's a rock star. He, you know, we talked about it, and he was like, "I kind of want to try this out. You are you fine with this?" And I was like, "Hey." I was like, you have done a lot more books than I have. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to experiment, please do it because this is the book to experiment with. And he kind of knocked it out of the park. He, you know, every time he goes to letter an issue, he's, you know, curses himself because he has to use so many different colors and stuff now <laughs> for different characters. <laughs> but, you know, he really did, you know, like a good job at, you know, kind of letting the reader know you know, this is a different, and that's, that's one of the things I think that comics may need, like, and maybe like going into the future is, you know, like we're getting into more unique and experimental forms of storytelling, especially with indie books and some even now with, you know, the main, the big two mm-hmm. comic book companies is that it's getting harder, you know, to narrow down exactly who's talking in some panels and stuff like that. If all the panels are like the same color. And so he has, you know, different background colors for some voices and, um, you know, the main character, his, his background color is white and his text is black. And like, that's kind of how, you know, that the protagonist is talking. And I really like that he, you know, put that in there to kind of accentuate, you know, the importance of who's talking. It, yeah. It's, it's good. It, his talent is really showing because like, lettering specifically with comics i felt i feel is something that's like so neglected and it it's such an important part of comics that makes it unique and you can have so much fun with it right like just doing plain old whatever the default 
comic font is, and then a word bubble pointing it at the mouth of being done. Comic Sans? Is, is it Comic Sans? Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's why I've, I've thought that forever. I'm not going to lie to you. I still think that. Is it not? Well, is it, here's a little font history for everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Comic Sans is kind of loosely based on uh, Dave Gibbons' uh, his lettering style. That was what was used uh, as a base for it. So Comic Sans is technically a comic font. Confirmed. Jordan is shaking his head. <laughs> mm. oh, so, can you imagine I, how awful that would be? I am 28 years old and I don't know which font they use. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that is massively done. For yours, you know, like I was I was saying, you know, I was thinking while we were talking about that, that yours, you know, yours is a you know, different art style that you see usually that you don't see usually in like mainstream comics. Like it's more angular. Um, it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot more, um, it's not as photorealistic as, you know, you would see in like those uh, other comics and that kind of gives it its own feel as does the lettering. The lettering kind of matches up perfectly with it. Who did you use? Uh, who, yeah, who did you work with? Not use, God. Cut that, cut that. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. All right. Um, that's all from uh, Joel, uh, Joel Saavedra. Uh, he is the artist for more or less everything. And then we have Damon uh, Pinyaba on coloring. So he does the lettering as well. Just right. really cool. So we kind of we keep it in house. Yeah. Um, both of them are from Argentina and are kind of students of that kind of art style where it's very like heavy black noir style stuff that's not quite as like perfect but it kind of has its own charm to it in a way like the the first issue of coronary is all that all inked by hand and drawn by hand i think we migrate into uh digital later on but it still has that feel to it i cannot oh. detect the switch oh whatsoever. really yeah no, none whatsoever i thought it was all that's good news <laughs> that's very good news <laughs> yeah nice yeah so i feel like it kind of fits that uh noir vibe we were going for that just, it is just it's good. very it's very down to earth it's a very like you believe you know you like fully believe in all the circumstances and like you get a, a taste of the real stakes of the story that's good because um i was gonna ask this is a question for you direct question eli awesome. uh, does the gray lock have a single genre Oh, does that even matter? <laughs> oh, like, no way. No way. It doesn't have a single genre. I don't think so. Nice. Because I, I was think, like, I'm getting bits yeah. of I'm getting bits of everything, but it like all all works beautifully together. Yeah. Me and me and Adagoon just kind of used a sawed-off shotgun and kind of just <laughs> picked yes. the, you know, which is what you, you want to do with fiction, you know, like you want to grab what you want. There's so many stories like that are playing a single genre and you know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And when you're using, when you don't know, like, when you're creating a world that has like magic in it and like all these different things, what, what's not on the table? Yeah. You know, you see that, you know, we play Dungeons and Dragons together. You know that there's like so many things and like 
you know, we're on what the fifth edition now for Dungeons and Dragons, and like there's so many different monsters and creatures and like planes and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of just want to go for the fences. And you succeeded. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, I know it's kind of a cliche to ask about uh, inspirations, but like, can I just riff a couple of things that I think you're inspired by and let me you're know? Gonna, if any you're going to be spot on. So, like, go ahead. All right. Blade. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Witcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of Saga in there. No. Really? No, I have never read Saga. Not even a, well, I've never read a full issue of Saga. I tried and I, I don't know. I didn't get it. There's some things that just aren't for you. And that's one thing that I just couldn't latch on to. But I, but I do not doubt that it's like one of the best comics out there. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, I, was, I was getting like, almost John Wick vibes at some point. It's very like underworldy crime. Oh, it's so yeah. good. There's so many elements that kind of just well, balance yeah. together in it so perfectly. I mean, if, you know, there's, there's always the, you know, like adventure hero going on the quest. And I was like, what if he's just a scumbag? <laughs> yeah. he's not a scumbag, but like, he's just like, he's doing what he's got to do to survive. Greylock is, you know? yeah he's you know he's friends with terrorists and like um you know like bounty hunters and murderers and like all these you know people that have these you know like things that you know just make them the the quote-unquote like bad guys yeah it's a it's a really kind of grounded and and human story i really love that it's like the gray lock is almost a little lonely Oh, sometimes. super lonely. And I'm just like, damn, I feel for this guy. Like, it, it's more than just like that I'm making quips and, and fighting bad guys. Like, he wants somebody to talk there. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone he, give him a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've read, yeah, you've read two out of, you know, it's a six issue um, series. You know, you, you definitely learn more. Does he get a hug in the end? that's one of my questions maybe maybe (laughs) yes maybe i don't know um you did mention blade i saw the opening scene of blade when i was four years old um which you know is definitely scarring for most kids you know it's it's a yeah it's a nightclub scene blood starts pouring out of the you know like the little fire alarm system and like there's like naked people and then they start getting cut down and i was nice. like yo this is metal of hell <laughs> like this is little so four, cool. little four-year-old eli was just like yes yes let's go and you know blade is a character i think that doesn't get his due in comics like he's he's very serious and very dour and I think that maybe one of the few runs that has got him right is the Mighty Avengers run. Um, mm-hmm. They get that he has a sense of humor. Like he has a real weird sense of humor that like, I feel like monster hunters pretty much all have, which is, you know, like gallows humor. Yeah. You know, like you deal with like all these creatures and like feed off of like murdering people and like do these horrible things. And then like you develop this like weird twisted sense of humor by, you know, interacting with only those creatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Who you but... spend your company with like. Yeah. You, you, you got to pick up, you pick up some stuff. 
Like yeah. there, <laughs> there is a reason he's like blades like cracking a smile before he throws that spinny blade yeah. thing. And goes, <laughs> One, and, it's uh, super cool. Yeah, you know. of course. So um, if we're speaking about great characters, I like Justin Sharp quite a bit. You do a lot. Of, you do a lot of like good, good stuff. I'm trying to keep it PG. I'm doing a good job. Um, I do a lot of good stuff with you. Do a lot of good stuff with uh, Justin Sharp, and I think a lot of people have difficulty making intelligent characters with you know like that seem truly intelligent. You know, um, a lot of people who you know write or create intelligent characters they throw in like these you know, buzzwords that make them sound intelligent, you know, we'll copy and paste Wikipedia for like equations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's hard, you know, like it's hard to write characters that seem truly intelligent and truly like they got everything all figured out. And like for you, Justin Sharp never seems like he's bothered or like caught by surprise, except for maybe like a couple circumstances when you do that in the book. I was just... You know, like, what was your approach in writing Justin Sharp? Well, it's, it's because I'm uh, intelligent and put together and <laughs> smart. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes I, total sense. <laughs> you got to put a little bit of yourself into the characters. I, I don't know. I'm trying to... Can I throw you an example? Yes. Okay, so, like, he gets, a, he gets arrested, right? And these police are giving him, you know, like all this stuff and like, he's not breaking a sweat. He's just sitting there. He's, you know, very nonchalant knows that he is, you know, like, so beforehand we're in a scene with Justin Sharp and this guy he's firing and he throws this briefcase on the ground and makes this huge banging sound. And these police come in and Justin's, you know, relaxed as can be, he gets taken to police station as relaxed as can be. You know, that shows like, uh, you know, not only arrogance, but great intelligence to like orchestrate that kind of stuff. Mm. So yeah. like, w- what's going on there? Why, why'd you do that? I don't know. I just <laughs> wanted, I, I wanted them, the main character to be kind of a, a dick. <laughs> I wanted him to be a little, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I, I kind of want him to kind of think he already knows everything and already like has succeeded and is already the best. And I okay. want uh, Luna to, to challenge that, which is what, yeah. what happens later in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks he has the world figured out and then he's a very, yeah, Stop he's a very happens. arrogant man. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully uh, the, the events of the book, he gets put in his place a bit more, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's great. I I did dig that. You know, as you know, as soon as you know, if you don't mind me saying spoilery, I guess for those of you who haven't, so who haven't read it, um, I know it came out a little bit ago, but still, um, yeah. the, the police station, you know, gets blown gets blown up, and he's just kind of like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> he's really just really really shocked, and like that's that is yeah, that's kind of like the turning point of you know, that's a beautiful turning point. You know, he's uh-huh. in this police station. He has everything in control, and then it blows up in his face, literally. And like he's just in this, you know, like interrogation room, wondering what the hell is going on. It's comics. You've got to have huge explosions, or else, like, <laughs> what are we even doing here? Like, come on. <laughs> right. 
with explosions, you know, that's the only way to go with comics. You know, the readers want to see nonsense. And mm. because it's such like a visual medium with, you know, depending on what your budget is, you know, like, and depending on how much you want to burn out your collaborators, <laughs> um, yeah. there's really no like, uh, you know, effects budget like there is in like film and things like that. Yeah, you can really go crazy with it. Like, and um, that was actually that explosion <laughs> was hard one uh, because I published it physically, and right. it's a it's a double page spread. Exactly. So you yeah. really have to be cognizant about when exactly it lands. Did yeah? Did that to make play it into, fit in order? Did that play into like how you wrote your scripts or how you told your story? Because I know that like that kind of played into when I, you know, like when I was doing um, a different book over at Mag Cave, that definitely played into how I originally wrote that, sto- uh, that story. And, you know, when you only have like, tw- when you only have like a set amount of pages, you had like all the pages you, you wanted to, I think, but at the same time, it's, it's a kick, it was a Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's go- going in and independently publishing the whole thing is such an interesting learning curve because there's so many little uh, minutiae the comics that you don't really understand until you're like directly in the weeds of it. Like page count has to be divisible by four, uh, front cover, back cover, interior back cover. All of those little details that like uh, publishers would handle, you kind of have to deal with in-house and it is so fascinating. Like um, right towards the end of it, it it's been out for a while now. <laughs> right towards the end of issue one in coronary, there's a black space before the quotes come in. And that's because I had accidentally scripted one page less than what I needed. Right. So I had to immediately kind of think of an idea. And I was like, extra black page of darkness. <laughs> Throw it in. Yeah. That will save the day. And I think it kind of worked. It was good. It does, you know, like I see, you know, I don't know if you saw, you know, but people are, you know, people are kind of sometimes readers are sometimes kind of like brutal about mistakes in comic books or like, you know, how did this get past an editor and stuff like that. And there's a lot of detail and a lot of minutia that goes into making a comic book. And you're never going to catch everything. You're never going to catch everything. I remember um, people were harassing Donnie Cates about this issue of Thor where Thor no longer was using his hammer and then he had it in his hand for one panel of the issue and he was like hey he's like what do you want from me <laughs> he's like what do you want from me it's you know yeah. like it's true like I not to speak out of school but like we had I don't think you caught this yeah we have a woman with four arms um she's called Aveda v-e-d-a-s that's the species name it's blue humanoids with four arms we kind of just took it off of uh, vishnu and um, krishna and shiva and some of the other um, hindu gods and made it a whole species mm-hmm. in this world and for like a pa- for a panel she only has two arms in issue two <laughs> she only has two arms and like I said to Adaguna, I was like, hey, it's like, where'd her other arms go, buddy? What happened? And he was like, she lost him in a bar fight for a couple seconds. I don't know. <laughs> like, we, you know like, it was already lettered. It was already colored. Like, you know, 
sometimes those are some things, you know, as long as it doesn't break the bank or break continuity in a, you know, world breaking way, you have to go forward with the story and hope the reader will forgive you. Right. Yeah. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even notice. You read no, it. No, I had notice, no so. idea. Exactly. Like it's, it's fine. That is one of the fun things about comics as a collective medium in general is that like so many ideas come from bouncing things back off the artist. The coronary script I wrote is, is probably 25% of what actually ends up on the page. There's so many little extra details and like right. I was gonna ask richness that. that comes in. Like so specifically with the Greylock too, there's so many little background characters where I'm like, What's his story? Why is there a little monkey smoking a cigar at the table? <laughs> Tell me everything about that's, that. That's all out of goon. That little monkey's all out of goon. The only one I really had to be like, hey, they need to be in here was the unicorn centaur. Okay. At the end of issue one. And that's just because I love the idea. We're going to get real weird. We're going to get real weird with like centaur kind of creatures because like why just horses? You know, why not rhinos? Why not elephants? Why not giraffes? Oh, you so know, like giraffe centaur. You've got it. You know, like or like elk. Like, what's you know, what's stopping you from you know? When did your parent like commiserate with that animal, and how were you born? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's all these. I spend a great deal of time on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell. For like references, <laughs> you know, like for references, like I think that most people do it that are yeah. creating things. I have a hard time, you know, I have ADHD and writing with ADHD and keeping track of like continuity and everything like that is super difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have like my uh, world anvil account where I like keep track of everything. I have like the Pinterest boards where I keep track of like different little ideas and little sections and things like that. I imagine that's really helpful. I'm not sure how much you share with artists, but like, Having reference and giving that to artists is like oh huge. Yeah. It's it's the a best. Shared, yeah, it's our shared board. Like me and Adagoon, because you know, like we're co-creators on it. You know, he gets as much credit as I do in it because you know this is our baby. You know, we worked together on uh, Hellfighter Quinn in 2018, 2019, and <clears throat> after I left that project, we I was kind of just like, hey, once you get some free time, we got to discuss. You know this book that I had an idea for and he was you know straight up just down for it and we built this world together you know nice. it doesn't hurt that he lives 30 minutes away from me <laughs> so <laughs> so he you know sometimes we'll go and grab like uh we'll go and grab like Mexican food and just talk about comics for a couple hours that's um, so good yeah so like you know this is kind of a shared world and I think a lot of different things have come out of that. Yeah, I'm really, there was a, not a throwaway line, uh, but there was a line that mentioned uh, dragons. And I'm like, I would love to see a dragon in this world. You're never going to see a dragon in this world. Uh, uh, but I, no. it's, it's like no. modern <laughs> enough. Like I'm thinking, what, like, would a dragon just be like Wall Street at that point? You know a what I mean? A dragon would... in, in this world is a nuclear weapon. Damn. A lot about the setting is is that it brings fantasy stuff into like a more modern setting and kind of like brings it to its con- almost conclusion in a way. If that's the wrong word, it works to its so zenith. 
Zenith. Conclusion is in. Zenith is the tippy top. It's the best it's ever going to get. I have perfected fantasy. You're welcome, everybody. You don't. Yeah, fantasy is done now. We should just do other stuff. That's it. I did it. You're welcome. (laughs) Done. Completed it. Move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. What is uh, your relationship with your artists uh, like? You mentioned you go out for Mexican food and stuff. Like, what's, what's the deal? we're we're just friends in general um i nice. think we just you know as soon as like we were introduced to each other we started off as friends because i was like hey i was like i really dig your art style we kept on talking about things like we just started talking about stuff other than the book that we were working on and we just you know hit it off you know it's, nice. it's rare to it's really rare to meet somebody that you can be like a creative partner with you know just fully and they get exactly what you're trying to do yeah me, me and joel have been working on uh coronary together and i i feel a lot of what you're saying about like the collaborative element and there's a lot of like friendship and trust that, that goes into it and that that's like something that's built up that doesn't necessarily happen it takes a lot of time and a lot of work to kind of get in tune with one another if that makes sense right. I mean, like you said, it is a relationship, you know, like this is like a friendship, like this is a partnership with somebody that like you're creating something and you're creating something you're both very passionate about. We, we don't get in, we don't get in creative tussles really, but we will talk about, we will get in like little tiny, 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 tiny struggles about the most minuscule things. It's never mm-hmm. about big, it's not never about big, like big story details. It's always about like the tiny, <laughs> the tiny stuff, which is funny. Oh, yeah. There's a very specific, I think it only comes up like maybe once or twice, but I did a throwaway detail where uh, in coronary, uh, because everyone has plastic, plastic surgery, everyone get the body they want, like uh, that reflects in a way where the gender dynamic becomes more equal. Right. and um british british people have a monarchy <laughs> and in this in this universe the king and the queen rule at the same time oh so everything what's that called i, I don't know a dual carne i don't think there's a word for it Duakis, duarchy Biarchy, Bia? maybe i don't know by yeah yeah that works Biarchy. and one of the interesting <laughs> details is that uh, anything that would usually have a single crown on it and now has two crowns. Oh snap! Like um, good idea. A lot of the like police reports. Uh, there's like a Royal Mail van that gets like a football kicked up against it. That has, That's uh, in the two book, right? In. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go back because I I didn't I didn't even realize that. I was just like, yo, I'm American. I'm stupid. One <laughs> <laughs> no. of the really really crazy things to me was that uh, Joel is from Argentina. And I'm from Britain, and he had done tube stations perfectly, like down to like the chains hanging off the display signs and stuff, and like the kinds of trash bins and stuff. It's incredible stuff. Yeah, it's it's very strange because it's like I I've been living in America for the past uh, six years now. So I, I kind of experienced this very strange, almost like a code switching, right? I jumped from being very British to being very American. Right. Based, based on who I'm with, 
and and usually how uh, drunk I am <laughs> or how like, I'm caught off guard. I wanted to talk more about uh, black representation in comics because there there's, there's so. <laughs> Is it as dire as I think it is? Should um, there be more? There definitely should be more. I mean, I I watched so I watched this video on um you know this like really funny like TikTok of this guy um pretending to be one of the fans of like the Lord of the Rings and like mm-hmm. his response to the posters and yeah. he was like when I see dragons and trolls and they're fighting each other and you know there's orcs and everything like that and then a black person pops out of somewhere you know that just takes me out of the story (laughs) (laughs) i was just like yeah that's perfectly summing it up you know like if you have all these other things why should a black person be like standing out to you as much that says a little bit more about you uh, (laughs) than anything else your your world is whatever you want to make it you know even with this lord of the rings you know there's different variations of everything you know if you want what tolkien intended read the books you know mm-hmm. that'll keep you busy until the show comes out those books are long and there's a lot of detail yeah then get to the cimmerillion <laughs> afterwards and then oh god yeah. isn't there another one on top of that that isn't there's, there's there's a lot they keep on releasing things that i'm pretty sure he's still alive somewhere writing books because they keep on releasing books by him <laughs> you know from like his notes and stuff it's good to see like um, a positive uh, black main character in a comic book because I feel that like I yeah, don't which, see that almost in, at all. In which one he I mean, Greylock murders people for money. <laughs> he's, he, he's got a good. He's, he's got a nice heart he's the, though. He's the hitman with the heart of gold. Yeah, the hitman with so, the heart of gold. That's so, gonna be the line. You know, you touched on something. You know, which I yeah, which you know was kind of like the impetus of. The Greylock is, I used to work at um, a behavioral school out here mm-hmm. in New York. And um, they used to just, you know, any kids with like any slight behavioral problems whatsoever, they would just toss them to school together. And they would mm-hmm. expect us to, you know, like fix that behavioral issues or like the problems going, at home, going on at home. And, you know, like it's, it's in a city. And so the kids that had behavioral problems, you know, quote unquote, um, mainly were just black kids that would get in a fight or something like that and then get put on probation and then they sent them to this school Mm -hmm. and you know it was it was a tough job and you know especially tough for the kids out here um in new york we have boces and boces is you know like this new york program for you know making sure that any kid with any sort of like learning disability developmental disability behavioral issues or anything like that can get a proper education and so, you know, high school kids are brutal. And so BOCES is perceived as the school where special kids go. And so, you know, you have these kids that, you know, they're already having a rough time in general. Yeah. And then they get sent to the school. And so everybody around them is like, yeah, you go to the special school. Ugh. And, you know, you have these kids that are being ostracized. And then you have these kids that are going through these things like probation. Um, you know, a good amount of them were, you know, like, doing what they had to do to survive and like, yeah. we didn't we didn't really care because like our job is to help them not to like tell them what to do and tell them not what to do you know um uh-huh. as bad as that sounds and some of them were in gangs and stuff like that and so we were 
you know, sometimes when a kid does really well, we'll watch a movie and stuff like that. And we were watching this one superhero movie and my coworker, who's now a priest, <laughs> funnily yeah. enough, he, um, he leans over to me and he says, he's like, what do you think's going on in their heads when they see, you know, like the superhero beating the crap out of somebody that's done some of the same things they do. Like, who do you think they're rooting for? What do you think's going on in their minds emotionally? You know, do yeah. they register that? And that kind of just stuck with me for the past like eight years. You know, like it's weird. You know, you have these people that are doing something as, you know, silly, you know, silly as selling drugs, you know, getting the, you know, their teeth knocked out or something like that by a superhero. And you have a kid that, you know, does that because, you know, it's an easy way to get money. And, you know, you're working with people that you know, people that you can trust a little bit more than some guy that manages the 7-Eleven or anything like that, or, you know, manages the Rite Aid. And it's a lot easier of a job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're getting punished for it and they're being made out to be the bad guy, you know, bar none, they're the bad guy. They deserve, you know, this punishment they're getting. And I kind of wanted to create a character that is like that. He is the guy that would get beaten up by the superhero nine times out of 10. Yeah. You know, he's the guy that, you know, is doing all these bad things. He's doing it to survive. He's doing what he has to do. And, you know, he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks about it. You know, you can still be a good person while doing these nonsense things. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I wanted to show is that, you know, this doesn't have to define you and it shouldn't yeah yeah the gray lock is a wonderful character i hope really, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i hope so i hope he gets that reception we'll see we'll see hopefully you know that didn't come out as too preachy but you know no it's a lot it's, of yeah it's important it uh, reminds me of this uh, specific part from uh this uh, speech that, that james baldwin did way back in the 60s and he was saying that as a kid, he was watching uh, John Wayne uh, shoot Indians on TV. And then as a kid, he realized that John Wayne was, was shooting at him, you know? Right. And it's like, damn, like he, that much is internalized within the media from childhood onwards. What do you expect to happen? Like, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, I think that touched on a lot of important things <laughs> especially you know it got a little heavy and you know yeah. i'd love to definitely talk again once the book's out and we have a little bit more issues and uh where are you at with the coronary right now we, you know i haven't asked are we getting more issues of it or there are another eight issues already scripted Ooh, okay so it's already it's already written uh, it's on a little hiatus at the moment. I'm writing a sci-fi project, but nice. I'm tempted to jump back into it. Uh, we'll we'll see what the future holds. But yeah, there's more more coronary on the horizon for sure. Okay. You said uh, the Greylock is a six issue series. Six issue sh- series coming out through Scout Comics this year. Thank you, you very much for allowing me to pick your brain about Same the Greylock. It's a wonderful series. And it's going to be such a long time until we talk or see each other again. Only until Monday. <laughs> Thank you to Ryan and Eli for joining us for this discussion. 
Ryan and Eli can both be found promoting their work on Twitter. Ryan at Ryan Burke Writer, that's Burke spelled B-U-R-K-E, and Eli at Static Shocky, that's Static S-H-O-C-K-E-Y. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast podcast. 